0: You're holding up 16 tambourines. Didn't we do an album focus on that?
1: Well, we did, but today's kind of an interesting show. Okay. I guess we had some lingering questions. We did. And we have an offer to answer some of those
0: questions. Who would know the answers to any questions that we might have about 16 tambourines?
1: Well, you know that there are four people in the band.
0: I can see. Yeah. Yeah. They would probably know.
1: We've had an offer from one, possibly two people, to answer some questions.
0: Okay, I'm looking. I'm looking, and I'm thinking. All right. Okay.
1: So, you know, we've had Danny Benair on more than once. He's been so gracious.
0: Amazing. We've had Luis
1: Gutierrez on, one of the unicorns. Yes. We've had Michael Curcio on various yes. times, talking about different projects.
0: Yes, we have mickey mariano
1: mickey mariano we've never had him on
0: we have not He's on
1: the unicorn list
0: he is he is
1: so what do you say jeff
0: i say we get this started and hope that one of those four guys or maybe two end up popping on the show you know
1: i'm an optimistic person so i say let's get started
0: let's get started
1: Hi, this is Soraya.
0: And this is Jeff.
1: Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme,
0: a podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes.
1: We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, let's get groovy. Hello, Mr.
0: Danny. Hi there. How are you Hi. doing? Today? I'm okay. How are you guys? We're doing well
2: there's mickey or as michael as we would refer to him i mean you know
1: so i just want to say hello michael this is Saraya and jeff and we're just really glad that you joined us today
0: there's oh thank you for asking me we're very excited so do we refer, we refer to you as mike michael mickey <laughs> that's the first question you can call danny's gonna
3: call me mickey so you might as well too Sounds good. Okay. I mean, okay. It,
2: the, the thing with Mickey was, was it, it was the name that he got attached because there wasn't Michael. So, it, you know, I think when he came in sort of being Mickey and at the time, you know, I, I think it was, wasn't was something where he was like, Lewis was the only one who turned from Greg to Lewis. So it wasn't like-
3: <laughs> <laughs> That was funny. Right. So, so my, birth, my birth name is Michael Mariano, but um, actually the first band that I was in with Danny, which was called the Falcons, um, they gave a couple of us nicknames because the image of the Falcons was to be like sort of a West Side Story type image. Wow. And so our, our singer, who was uh, Marty Zucker, we changed his name to Marty Martino. <laughs> and, and then my name from Mike Mariano went, changed to Mickey Mariano. Wow. So, so Danny and his, and his parents, who I knew well, always called me Mickey. It was like a nickname that stuck. And, and when I got in three o'clock, um, there was already a Michael. And so sometimes somebody in the band would say, hey, Mike, and both M- uh, Michael Coricio and myself would turn our heads and go, what? So they said, look, let's just call you Mickey. So it's not so confusing. You know,
0: so that's your that's your street gang name. Exactly. It
3: exactly. Is. That's my that's
2: my band name. <laughs> I mean, I call him Mickey, but if Mickey came and said to me one day on the phone and said like don't ever call me mickey again
3: (laughs) oh no i don't i don't mind i answer to to any to either mickey or mike it's fine
2: okay right no i i get it i mean or michael also i think the length of our relationship is sort of at this point
0: he's always called me that so yeah yeah so so danny it's either mickey or honey right i mean you guys have known each other so long so i would imagine (laughs) sometimes so Soraya, you want to do a little introduction now that we know who, because we kind of teased at the beginning of our episode, but we didn't say who was coming on. Yeah.
1: So. So, okay. so for our listeners today, we are joined once again by the great Danny Benair, but also by the one and only Mickey Mariano, also known as Michael Mariano, but uh, this is just a thrill. It's such a oh. thrill to have you on and to talk about some songs that are so important to us. Well, so.
3: that, that makes us very excited. It makes me excited. I'm glad you're thrilled because that makes me thrilled, too. Oh, my
1: gosh. Our listeners are plotting right now. They are really, they're having a moment.
0: <laughs> okay. For
1: sure. For sure.
0: So, Soraya, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode on 16 tambourines. And I might mm-hmm. note that we have Christmas colors because today is a gift for us. So, <laughs> so we are wearing Christmas oh, yeah. colors. <laughs> Because it's a gift. I see. It's very, very seasonal. Yeah. So, Soraya, a couple of weeks ago, we did have an episode where we were talking uh, and we were focusing on the album 16 Tambourines in particular. Right. And we didn't know a whole lot. There was a lot of things that came up that w- we didn't know what we were talking about. But we just love the album. I think we Thank both you. shared that we, ha- we both have multiple copies of this album. My favorite copy is my Japanese pressing that um, I had signatures from everybody except for Mickey. My well, copy well, that I had signed by the whole band at a, uh in-store appearance that the band did in Encinitas, California is long gone. And Soraya's got a copy signed by the entire band. All four. Yes. Cool. So original. I'm very jealous. Yep. I even have illustrations on mine. <laughs> you do, indeed. So we do have right. a couple questions for you guys because you guys are the insiders and you know about this album much more than we do sure <laughs> so the band um as we know um came out of the ashes of what was salvation the salvation army band and troy howe leaves the band danny joins the band um mickey's in the band and you guys do um a single did some stuff at radio tokyo and then baroque Hodown. well
2: no, that's backwards. Uh, okay. Well, sort of, I joined the band and then I convinced Lewis, who wants to hold off on getting a keyboard player for six months, and I tell him, but that's six months, we won't have a keyboard player, and I knew from seeing Salvation Army record and seeing them live, they had an organ that they used, you know, but you know, it was like Lewis was trying to play organ and guitar at the same time, and so I suggested Mickey, but we played probably I don't know I don't know how many gigs we played without Mickey we played a handful of gigs as a three piece as still a Salvation Army um, and then it, then you know yeah. Mickey joined pretty quickly Am I right on that Mickey
3: Oh yeah and um, I actually went and saw you guys play as the Salvation Army and as a three piece at the Sweetwater right. Um, yeah, so that was before I joined the band, you were telling me about the band and I wasn't, I had just left, or I, w- I w- prior to uh, joining Salvation Army, I was, I was working with Great Buildings, who later um, formed, uh, two of those guys went on to form the Rembrandts. Um, and that band kind of dissolved. And Danny, I was talking to Danny and he said, we're gonna play a show, why don't you come and check it out? So, so I went and saw them actually play as a three piece, as a Salvation Army.
0: And then, so Danny, at that point, um it was your idea to bring him in a little bit earlier than lewis wanted it sounds like
2: yeah well i i just knew um when i joined which was bizarre because i really we never even had my rehearsal was i mean my audition was was me joining the band and i didn't even realize on the on the spot the day i joined wasn't even an audition it was basically like michael telling me that we have a gig in three weeks, all right. <laughs> I'm, I want to record an EP in the fall, okay. And, and this was like late June. It was like July twenty third was the first gig we played as a three piece. And I and I just realized that you know I knew Mickey's ability. Mickey had came from a theory background. He he was the most technically musical person that would come into the band. So he could sort of I knew if he came in. He could say to Michael, "Do you want it on this way or do you want it that way?" The chords, and Michael would go, "That would be great." You know, so so what happened? Everything happened fast because I think when Mickey saw us, he also realized that the band was was happening. The band had stuff going on, and if he wanted to join, it was kind of an expedited situation. If I'm correct,
3: you are correct. Yeah, Michael and Louis really you know as you know they were like the core of the band um who who were in Salvation Army together and and their songwriting really the two of them working together formed the core of the music of the band um and they were younger than us they were they were like were they 19 and 20 maybe um
2: they were they were definitely younger and I and you know me me being the adult um yeah and you and I
3: you and I were maybe in our early mid 20s you know 23 24 25 so Danny and I had actually had more experience playing shows playing live working in the studio and stuff like that just a few years more and they were for them it was a lot of it was new and they were they were young Um, so it was kind of when I auditioned they were still called the Salvation Army and and and, and that changed shortly afterwards after a notice from the real Salvation Army but it was kind of like putting together two guys who had a little bit more experience and slightly older and two younger guys who um, had a lot of great were really creative and a lot of great ideas but they didn't have quite as much of the experience and we meshed the two together and I always liked that because some of the some of the uh, the 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 newness that they had being a little bit younger and some of the rawness I thought was a good thing for the band, and Danny and I ha- had a little bit of polish, so it kind of it kind of blended it kind of balanced out a little bit,
0: you know I like that a lot. It sounds like uh, yeah in, in my work environment, we try to put together teams that are kind of like that, where we have the, yeah. the fresh faces come in on the team and then we have the experience and that combination makes into a good team so it sounds like yeah that really helped out with the three o'clock for me mickey you mentioned that michael and lewis were like the core of the band i always thought of the three o'clock kind of like i think of the beatles where there's where there's four people that are equally important across the board and all four personalities make it as a whole so i i always looked at at the band as the four key important members um it was it was
3: really i think so jeff um Because each person, each band member had their kind of role and contributed in different ways. So um, the four of us, I think, had a chemistry together and each each brought kind of different things. So. um, Oh, and also we're talking about Michael and Luce being kind of young. I remember playing some shows live and I'm sure Danny remembers where. they were too young because of drinking age oh. to actually be in the club. Well, so there was, they def- were-
2: there was definitely one in San Diego with Michael. I think Lewis had already was already 21, but Michael, I think, was 20 or maybe younger. I don't know. There was something. Yeah, they was, let him on was a little bit older than Michael. But Michael, it was what's the club in San Diego? I can't remember. But literally, the van was next to the door. Michael. When they said you're going on, Michael came out of the van, walked on stage. Set finished. He got back in the
3: van. Wow. <laughs> there was no. He moment yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't hang around in the club after playing on the stage because you know liquor liquor laws. You know, he had to be over 21 to be inside that club.
2: And that was their that was their strict thing. I mean, certainly we played
3: a lot of places very early on where nobody cared about did, age. I mean, did it did that happen in another state as well where Michael had to, had to you know, know could play play the show on stage, but then had to leave the club?
2: I don't really recall. I, I also think a lot of venues, if they're set up for 21 and younger, if you get stamped, you know, there's that whole, you know, you can be in a club if you have a stamp if you're underage. So um, so there was yeah. that. I mean, it, 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 it blossomed rather quickly because uh, going back to how, you know, we where we got to, because first of all, there were a few songs Michael, I think already had Marjorie Tells Me and he had Cantaloupe Girlfriend and he had, he wanted to do Sorry and then he tried it when we joined and I think I created the feel that what it became.
3: The shuffle, yeah.
2: And then Mickey would always sort of confide in me because he didn't really uh, I was sort of the middle person, I guess, at first. So Mickey would always, Mickey came to me and he'd been Tweaking with the riff to I Go Wild. I think mean, he took apart the riff for the last time by the Stones up, upwards, downwards, backwards, forwards. And then he played it for me and asked me what I thought. Wow. And I thought it was really cool. And then he brought it to Michael and Lewis and they instantly grabbed onto it. But wow. he was very, he was very, Mickey wrote really important songs in the three o'clock.
3: Um, well, I didn't write them. I, I, I collaborated well, with Michael Lewis but, okay, and Lewis. Okay, but. You know, brought in a piece of an idea. Right, yeah. but uh, I would say that, you know, if you don't come
2: in with an idea for Jet Fighter and I have the drum beat, then it doesn't go on to the song. That's well, true. That's true. I
3: started a ball rolling. Right. The drum you know.
2: germ, germ came from. And then. I'm not taking away anybody's ability and talent, but it was like yeah. Mickey had this riff, which then light bulbs went off because they weren't coming from Michael or Lewis. So. Yeah. Um, was-
3: Michael and Lewis were, were always really receptive uh, to other people introducing uh, you know musical ideas in the band. Uh, it, and they were very quick on stuff too. And, and Danny was quick on stuff too. I mean, in rehearsal, Danny would you know uh, somebody would start playing you know the music or whatever. and he would the drum beat would happen very quickly, you know within a few min- within a minute or two. And uh, I, I, I tend, being a keyboard player and being kind of methodical, I tended to, to hem and haw and, and stay after uh, rehearsals were over and try to figure out what I wanted to play. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's <laughs> and, true. <laughs> that's me. So
1: it, it, it sounds like Baroque, Baroque down kind of, Danny, especially since you set up that timeline, Michael had these quick plans. So it sounds like Baroque hoedown was already kind of in process.
2: In Michael's right, Soraya. In Michael's mind, down what he wanted to do an EP, and um, I suggested Earl because I'd had a long relationship with Earl, and that instantly, it just Earl loved Michael's voice. He really liked the band, and um, we went in with a few songs already, and then we were pretty. Cl- I mean, by the time we uh, came around to make the record, I mean. We had the songs already, we had other songs, but I mean, those five plus um, Feel A Whole Lot Better, which we recorded at the same time, um, you know, that, we, that was done, you know, we were, prepared. we were always prepared. We never, we were never slack on rehearsing. I mean, we rehearsed constantly, constantly.
3: What how how long would you say after I joined that we recorded Baroque Hodan? Was it like four or five months?
2: Yeah, probably. You know, I mean, not long. Yeah. I mean the band, It was pretty quick. The band's new identity really morphed very quickly because Mickey and myself brought something to Michael and Lewis's strength that married it that could have failed. You know, I mean it could have failed if it was the wrong two guys, but it was sort of like I think our longer experience like mickey had pointed out and their creativity and kind of openness to trying things, freshness, it melded in a way that completely changed what salvation army was because that was rough and ready and you know there wasn't a lot of technicality uh going on it was sort of like lewis had a fuzz box and a an amp that leaned like the tower of pisa and and <laughs> troy back mm. away and michael was sort of the Michael was the, uh, the root, the, he held it down with his very solid bass playing. His timing was yep. so spot on. But within months, I mean, Lewis went from sort of a noisy guitar player to like being extraordinarily talented and upped his game in like months. It, was, it blew me away.
0: Yeah, if you listen to the guitar work on the Salvation Army record and the guitar work on 16 Tambourines or oh. even Baroque Hoedown, it's hard to believe that that's the same guitar player.
2: No, ab- absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I mean, his whole, um, you know, his whole riff and guitar thing for Stupid Einstein, uh, it's, it, it's fabulous. And um, and the way Earl recorded it, it always made me, the only word I can think of, I made up a word, it's autumny. You know, it, it makes <laughs> me think of like, you know, the fall and leaves in a fireplace. that has got this very... Unique sound to it, and the
3: st- the guitar playing on it is is fabulous. He he came. Remember, he was in the punk band, the Oziers. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> and he came from a punk background, just you know, when he was young, and uh, but he was also a, a big fan of like Steve Howe of Yes, and also classical guitar playing. He liked that kind of stuff quite a bit. Which he's over the years he's he's developed that side. But that's kind of what you hear this this guy who has. Kind of a new wave punkish background but also is a fan of classical and even prog rock stuff so that that kind of things that you were talking about the way he plays on 16 tambourines and bro down and, and arrive without traveling that that's what you're hearing this guy who kind of blended the, those the, the punk stuff or and or new wave stuff with the um kind of progressive almost classical guitar stuff
0: wow it definitely helped um, make the sound that you guys did as a band very unique. Yeah, and,
2: and, and I don't say this in any way as a slight because honestly Lewis is really fantastic, but Mickey joining up the bar and Lewis couldn't, not a Lewis procrastinated anyway, Lewis was very methodical like Mickey, he worked and worked and worked on parts. But when Mickey joined, he realized, you know what? This guy's <laughs> really good and everybody's, the bar has been risen. You know, so he knew that to compliment everybody else, he had to take the time and really, it wasn't just hitting chords in a fuzz box. And, um,
3: all, and <laughs> I all remember for the best, I mean, you know, to me. Um, I remember um, speaking of their punk backgrounds in their early days, Michael and Lewis, I remember that Michael or Lewis telling, telling us or, or me at a, well, one day we were rehearsing that they were playing a show in somebody's house or just playing playing a gig in somebody's house and el duche was there and he was throwing up on michael's shoe or something I <laughs> heard oh, <wow. laughs> that from drinking too much wow <laughs> so that, that that's where they came out of but and and myself danny had played a lot of course he'd worked with the quick and stuff like that and i had actually um prior to joining rock bands i had played in top 40 bands so i played like weddings like on on weekends like you know sometimes three weddings in a weekend wow you know month in month out so I played a lot Dan- Danny had played a lot and then like I said Michael and you know they were just 19 20 whatever I mean when I was their age I I, I was new I was fresh just the way they were you know so and and Mickey, that- and Mickey you know from you playing uh, those weddings we can't get you all in here <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's where that comes from that is for a Day in Erotica, that's a tape of Mickey's from when he was like fourteen or something playing a top in a top forty band. And we took that loop. What? But, you know, in, Day in Erotica, there's that woman. That's yeah. there. That's the tape of Mickey's and Earl made a loop of, we can't get you all in here, of some woman at some point. Is that right, Mickey?
3: Yeah, it's one of the first gigs I played. I was um, 14 years old and um, uh, was we weren't actually the band playing the wedding, our, our, the drummer's parents had the band and they played the main stuff for the wedding and then they brought us out to play a few songs or something like that. So I was like 14 years old, I was the lead singer. We barely could play our instruments, and and I have a cassette tape of that, and I and I brought it to um, uh, Earl's studio when we were recording sixteen tambourines, and he played some of that uh, cassette recording. Of, of our band of the, of the wedding and some of it's just not even the band playing it's just people talking and sitting at the table eating dinner and stuff like that well you hear
2: the plates so being moved i mean i don't know what goes yeah. to that because i mean it, that song you know i mean michael changed the melody and there was already a melody down and earl said no leave it put your counter melody and he, <laughs> he so came weird. in with like uh with a cassette where you hear dishes being played and then the woman i can't get you all in here and
3: earl's like Yes, and then yeah, the it's a woman. A woman trying to take a photo at the wedding. So it, she said, "I can't get you all in the picture." <laughs> oh. Okay. And then the
2: and then the crying at the beginning is Earl's kid who now like uh, yeah uses Earl's yeah. studio totally. <laughs> but that was him crying in the backyard, and we just said, "Leave it on," which was very yeah. typical of how we,
3: even though we that really, was very we crafted sixteen tambourines. We're trying to be psychic. That was a very psychic quote unquote psychedelic track, that's for sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um so when we got when we got to making sixteen tambourines, um and between 16 tambourines and arrive without traveling is when we went to Radio Tokyo. Um and and Ethan Ethan um James came to us and said I just need one song but you can record three and you can have the others. So um we gave him um did we give him Onga Time or In Love and Two? Okay, I can't
0: remember. Good time.
2: Okay, we gave him Onga Time. And then we used In love and Two and Lease for Sam. Uh, and we did a Rodney commercial. We did all those. Uh, he was a very nice guy, and he let us do it. It was between records, so we had this fan club single, and then Lisa, I think, sent them out to the French record to make Bro a bigger record in France. Um And on Lucifer Sam, I mean, all that weird talking, again, it's a weird happenstance. It was a ham radio coming through Lewis's amp. Wow. Which happens. And and it was like, we just got to leave it. It's so weird. (laughs) And so it was coming in. And I think one of the words, and I think we flipped it around, was the guy going boring. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. It was really weird. but that was what led us to to sixteen tambourines, which was obviously, um, I know that's what you really wanted to talk about, and and uh, yeah, and that you know we spent a lot of time, you know, we'd already toured, we already started getting a buzz, Michael already called this thing to Paisley Underground. Um, the first song we we that was written for the record um, was "Around the World." Oh. And we played it live. Yeah, we played it live and um, what we would do is we would open our set with songs like this. Oh, we loved Around the World so much. And so that was the first song we cut for the record, I think, and it doesn't, you know, then like at the 19th hour of 20, Michael and Lewis decide one day, we don't want it on the record. They never really gave any explanation as to why, they just decided one day they didn't. And that was that was my own time ended up on, on the record.
3: Because we had been doing in my own time live. Um, and, but we hadn't uh, necessarily thought about putting it on the record at all. But we, we had been playing it live. And when uh, Around the World was cut, we needed something to put in its place. And it, and it turned out to be in my own time.
2: But, but, and also there was a very big deal about that was, was that Earl just didn't want to do it. Earl said, you're not just gonna do it and it's gonna be the Bee Gees. If you're gonna do it, we're gonna change it and I think we should do a brass version. And we'd already done the brass with, with you know, the other stuff. So Earl wanted to create a brass version that would sort of, um,
3: that would make it unique. Because- Actually what unique. happened on that, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna contradict you there, Dan, because Earl said, how can we do this song and make it different from the Bee Gees version? And I said, um, well, it's got kind of a funky groove, so you put horns on it, and Earl said that sounds good. Then there you go. I mean, that's that's how it happened. Okay. Yeah, and that's <laughs> just, um, I, 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 I just, just I, I just know for
2: I just knew that for us to do in my own time, especially the majority of time we played it live, there was a period where we had the horn section in L.A. where we would do a few songs, but yeah, you know, it, it's much closer to like a faster version of the Bee Gees version, but um, that was what we tried to steer away from was just to do, just to cover the BG's version. Um, and we didn't look at any, we had other older songs that I, for whatever reason, we didn't go back to it. you know, uh, instead of doing an, uh, pulling an original, we just did a cover, which I don't, I don't remember us even considering any of the songs that we had dropped from sets that, that exist, but never were recorded. So, um. That was, that was the last thing that was definitely recorded.
0: So can I ask how the horn section came um, into being uh, in the first place? I think the first time that I saw the band play, you were touring for 16 Tambourines and it was at, I believe it was at UCSD um, in a gym you, or San Diego State, probably San Diego State University actually. And, and you had the horn section there and for yeah. an, a college rock band at the time, a live performance with a horn section was not, unless you were Oingo Boingo, was not something that you would see. <laughs> right,
2: I think what we, I think what the, the thought was we did, I think we might've done a few gigs to the general public or something like that. And, and we were making good money. And Cause I remember, I think we did like three days in a row and I think we took the horn section. I think one of the gigs was like in you know, Riverside or somewhere like that. And LA and I guess San Diego. And I, we must have figured out that we could do it with the horn section. So I know we did, I know at one point we did Savoy Truffle to add horns and the Lightning starts. And I know at one point we did Satisfaction with the Bangles. Um, we sort of did the Stones version meets the Otis Redding version and the Bangles as background singers and the horns. So wow. I know we found reasons to use the horns because we were not a horn band at all.
3: No, but we looked at it probably like as, you know, Sergeant Pepper has some tracks with horns on it or something like that, or, you know, it, it just, it, it worked with those songs, you know. So, and it was fun live. We had, um, I'm sure you remember Mike Barbera, Danny. Yes. Uh, who who was a saxophone player who I met, I think through Danny Wilde when I was in Great Buildings and I I brought him He played on um, 16 Tambourines and we had some other people that had played on that record as well, besides Mike, we had a a trombone player and a trumpet player um, and they were fun guys. So, you know, to bring them out, it was, you know it was was a lot of fun for us too. So, and also like
2: when we played the palace, which was rare, I mean, we only played there, I don't know, four or five times. there was always like the big LA show for us, you know. And it was the show, like the first time we headlined, and like it oversold, and we made we made for us we made a lot of money, which was, in you know, in today's terms was probably no money, but it, then it seemed like a lot of money, and the place <laughs> was oversold, and we didn't know if like 300 kids would show up. That was that was when we realized oh. we could do these shows, and not only would we make money, but we would also uh, It'd be like the best way we could present ourselves. So that was like, let's bring the horns in. You know, we can do the horns. Or I know one of them we use all these blow up balloons behind us. I'd love to find those photos because they're really great. It's so simple. We just got a helium machine and had these giant balloons behind us. And it, it's very simple, but it looked really cool.
3: Um, the first palace show that we did, the palace um, held uh, 1,200 people. And they actually oversold it and put 1300 people in there, which they're not supposed to do because of fire marshal laws, but they put 1300 people in there and then they were still turning people away. Wow. And my cousin couldn't, couldn't get in. He had to buy like a scalpers ticket, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so The making of the record was very, um, very group oriented. and That should be stressed because um, I know like you brought up in, when you talked about sixty Cambrines, you brought up fall to the ground. And everything about the instrumentation that bang, dun, 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 dun. was very deliberate. And um, I had an idea and it was Lewis and I did it. And it's sort of low in the mix, but Lewis, I had Lewis play a marching big marching drum and oh. I played crash cymbals, like in a marching band. Right, so, yeah. it was like, so when you, you know, see her fall to the ground, that part, Lewis would be going bang, bang. And I was going psh- and that was in the we did lots of weird things where like earl would say yes to anything <laughs> i mean he was like you want to try it try it that was always his he never wanted a to uh, not allow us to overcome something
3: like that. The band had a lot of luxury with Earl because um, in, instead of studio time, you, play, you paid him a flat rate per song. Oh. And then you could take as much time as you wanted until the songs were done. Oh, so wow. Seven That's years a- later, no. Um, so, I mean, within reason, <laughs> within reason, you couldn't take five months or whatever like yeah. that. But it wasn't, you weren't paying him by the hour or anything like that. You just pay him a flat rate per song. And then, so that way, that, that led us just kind of, it was luxury so that we could take our time and make sure everything was right. Um, for for the, some of the string players uh, that we had on the record, uh, we got some students from Cal State Northridge.
2: And, uh, and Will Blunt
3: and Will Glenn from the Rain Parade, and they played some string parts on uh, Tomorrow and on, on My Own. Um, and, and the thing was Earl's studio, which he's
2: re- he says he's retired, I, I'll, I'll take him at his word, I've talked to him many times, but his studio <laughs> changed from the days of Ben, where, my, when we recorded our first two records there, my drums were set up in the kitchen, oh. and uh, Michael would be, his bass would be in the living room Mickey would be in the, there was a little space in the control room. He could set up there, but you couldn't set up the whole band. The way Earl set up is now, like when we did three by four, there's a whole back studio. But I do recall his wife, Jerry, when we were doing A Day at Erotica, um, the beginning, there's a triangle right at the beginning. And i had a pillow and i had it all set up so i could hit the triangle before i came in and i threw the triangle on the pillow and we started the song and jerry comes in with groceries which was 100 common this happened all the time so here comes jerry she looks nonplussed she comes in with her groceries we continue playing we don't stop it's probably the take we use probably if you Probably if you took all the mics down and found one of the stairs or floor, you probably could hear Jerry, you know, putting away, you know, bags of groceries. But <laughs> well, that was very much how it was done. You know, the drums were in the kitchen.
3: So... Yeah, in, in his house and in, in, in the... I think his studio was in his guest house, wasn't it? Well, yeah, the parts of the studio. I mean, that's where the tap piano for
2: Tomorrow was. Yeah, um, yeah. That you use. They're, that piano in Tomorrow is... This, Is a tack piano that Earl owned that, that Mickey played.
3: very cool because um, you know he had he had played guitar on in sparks he, uh, two early records he's he's actually on the records and then he worked for a number of years at the beach boys brothers brother studios and he'd worked with uh, engineering uh some beach boys records he worked with brian wilson so he had a lot of experience very creative you know producer engineer but he and he can work with you know seasoned studio veterans he had that kind of abil- ability but he also loved working with y- new young bands and almost he, he loves he loves the role of being a teacher so he takes the band at the level that they're at and he helps them to be able to get a good sound in the studio and he likes to teach them to help them grow and he loves it he loves to watch bands grow and stuff like that and i mentioned that to him i said i said even though you could do this 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 you really, you really seem to enjoy, you know, working with bands at whatever level they're at, and 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 getting them to get a good sound. And, he, and you know what he said to me? He said, "Absolutely, you know, just like that." So that that's just That was his thing that he really enjoyed that. Yeah,
2: he never got Earl mad. I never saw in my whole life. I've never saw Earl angry.
3: <laughs> never made him
2: mad. Made him laugh a lot though. <laughs> well, laughing. That's great. Um, I, I, I was trying to think of something about we he um, recorded. I mean, he had certain instruments that we had access to. He had certain amps and guitars and keyboards. Like he had a Leslie that was from
3: Sparks. It was Ron Mayles. Um, well, the 16 Tambourines was recorded on a 16 track that Brian Wilson used to own. Right. That was the, that was the um, hmm. uh, Earl had purchased the 16 track uh, uh, board from Brian Wilson.
2: And the and the beginning of Jet Fighter's a mistake. You know, that gene, that that's a mistake.
3: It's a little blip. Yeah, a little that's recording a blip,
2: blip. And Earl's like, yeah, you know, Earl had the phrase for that. But, you know, Earl's like, lightning bolt, we're leaving it. You know? Uh,
0: so that's when it does that,
4: yeah.
3: yeah. It sounds like it's it's something that the guitar was playing, but then the tape kind of sped up a little bit and it somehow it recorded the little speeding up of the guitar note and and it and it was at the beginning of the track. You get kind of little weird, you know, anomalies like that when you're working in the studio, but that was one that was actually left in on the recording.
2: Yeah, Earl, Earl, you know, it wasn't something that was manipulated. Let's put it there. It was there. And then Earl like realized this is magic, you know, there's something <laughs> unique about it. It's the sound that catches your attention. and uh,
3: Yeah, and Earl was the one who wanted to add the sound effects to Jet Fighter, like the air raid sirens at the end and the explosion and the uh, pilot to co-pilot talking and and various things. things Me and Michael were looking at each other going, sound effects? You know, on a rock (laughs) song? You know, you have to, you don't really know. I mean... But I started laying stuff down and I started listening to it, I said, yeah, I see how these things kind of work for the song, you know? Somebody, I remember a review in LA Weekly, I think, by Craig Lee, and he, and he said it kind of reminded him of Sky Pilot by The Animals, yeah. you know? <laughs> so well, I,
2: I, I think I recall when we first were going to do the, the, the voices, and it was Lew- Lewis, Lewis was, Lewis was like ground control and I was the pilot. That's right. And... Um, <laughs> That was fun. And you guys I think the the fire, Michael man. was cringing and we just did it. But the funny thing was, I know a couple of the words we say because I remember, but there's no way unless you took that that track <laughs> up and listened. Like, I think I one phrase I say is no problem, no problem. And then I think the last words I say is, oh my God. <laughs> right before the explosion. that was that was something where you know it could have really like um
0: just swung. Could have been in. tacky <laughs> you know um was it scripted or were you guys no Improv-ing. oh no uh we were ad-libbing yeah
3: <laughs> we were ad- I- we were, actually- me and michael were off we were, i was off to the side like laughing because <laughs> they were just like goofing off you know, Danny, this is stuff we do while we traveling on the road in the van and all of a sudden, you know, somebody would get on some kind of a, you know, be, be goofing off, you know, talking about somebody else. drive. Look at that person in, the, in that car or whatever and, and cracking jokes or whatever. That's what Danny know, and Luce are doing. on the road of us talking with, like, accents. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, that's probably like, you know, so I was probably doing, like, partial Russian accent, you know. It was probably like, no problem, <laughs> no problem, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah we probably did a few takes and then it sort of didn't matter because you know now it's like mickey mentioning that there's the, the the sound effects and the voices it's like it's so like blended in my mind like i don't even think it's there and also i don't really think about jet fighter because i know it's a song that people really know of ours unless you live of course in the philippines and then it's on paper um which is a whole other world but um it's so like, I've played it so many times. I mean, I could walk right now and play it somewhere if I had to. Um, but I kind of, I guess in a way, that's the one I probably think about the least because I've heard it so much. Whereas, you know, the other ones were more, it was more fine tune, you know, what we were playing and how we were doing it and the tempos and, um, you know, I know you had mentioned a few songs on your program and I was trying to remember, there were some things you mentioned and I wish I'd written it down. So so I wrote
0: a couple things down. Um, So um, Stupid Einstein was one of the songs that I played and um, I was cracking up at the line, feel and go through you. Right. Because Yeah, in the paint box, um, I remember them sending out when there was a, there was some sort of contest that I entered and lost, but um, they, I think you guys. I think you guys printed um, some of the responses that people had, some of the submissions, and somebody said that "feel and go through you" was the "an" st- stood for acid. The "a" and "an" was like feel well, the acid go through you. you know,
2: that's a sort of like you know. That's a sort of like that Michaelisms where, you know, just how he writes. But I mean, you. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the old Waldorf or any of the live stuff from that period. I mean, that song starts out where, you know. It, it, we, the chorus is like, you know, no more friends. You know, it it's there's that other version which is really up tempo and it's you know, it's just this like kind of strumming. And that's how we play it for a while. It doesn't come become, you know, the the riff for a while. It just kind of has that playing ding 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 And that's how we play it for a while. And then we and the chorus is sort of like, no more friends. Um so there is this version very early on that's sort of that's what stupid Einstein becomes, um, which you know is um, you know much more acoustic and my, as I like to say. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> my mean. version is I mean, if you notice that, that record is not a very big guitar record. It's, I mean there's guitars on everything, but it's not like um,
0: the guitars are more delicate, I would say.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's a record that I think when it first came out, it sort of um, a lot of kids didn't like it because you know broke we came from being Salvation Army to Broco Dam, which is still pretty raucous, and then you get to sixteen tambourines, which is kind of our adult record. You know, we're 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 being sort of adults. I mean, we're we're making a record and we're crafting all the tunes and. You know, we're adding little, you know, uh, I know that on, um, what's the song that closes the album? Um, ah.
3: Seeing is believing. Yeah, right.
2: And I added cloths, which uh, those wooden blocks, you, you, know, you, got that, you know, and Mickey Kate created this, uh, like, almost like a limbo, some keyboard parts. Shapes in your eyes. Um, it's a weird song that I, I, don't even know if we played more than once. I mean, it's one of those songs where we never really played a lot. But again, it's got that, a, a cool, cool guitar, acoustic guitar thing going on. It's something we really never incorporated a bunch into our, uh, our live set. But, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on every rep song in that. There's no song on that record that we didn't put a lot of time into um, even the rhythm tracks might've come fast, but the songs as a whole, um, uh, Mickey can probably talk about a lot of his parts. Um,
3: I, know I think the record, I think the record at one point, I think the, when we were uh, trying to, uh, work up songs for the record, I remember Danny, you saying, you know, we need a couple more up-tempo songs because this is, because there's a lot of slower songs, but we need some, a couple more up-tempo things, you know? So, and that's, that's the way the collection of songs kind of came together. And then when they, when they took Around the World out, which was an up-tempo song, um, you ha- you're even left with even more. Um, but I think one of the last songs that we wrote for the, that we came up with for the record was Jet Fighter. You know,
0: Mickey, so. Mickey. can we talk about how that song starts? Cause I, my understanding is that you were instrumental in getting that song off the ground. Well, I, um,
3: I thought that, um, you know, I go wild, which had turned out well, which was the first for me, it was the first time I'd ever collaborated and had a song on a record, you know, so I said to myself, well, let me try and do it again. <laughs> so um, I, I worked for a couple of weeks and came up uh, one, one evening uh with a, just a chord pattern and a little riff over the chord pattern and a, and a, and a bass, bass part as well. And I brought that in and I wasn't really sure um, well, what well, part Well, I it back part. up. I mean, the thing is, Mickey was very apprehensive
2: about anything he would play. And he would, he, would, he would tell me he'd have an idea. It's like somebody saying, I've got a secret, but then like, oh yeah, well, let's just <laughs> go on. So he would tell me, I have an
3: idea okay so so if you if you if you introduce a musical idea like that and it's and it's not and not that great or it's not re, uh, received that well then you know you 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 go back to the drawing board so i would usually if i came up with something i'd put it onto a cassette and i'd like listen back you know, the next morning or whatever and try to make sure this this doesn't sound like too much like anything else right, you know to to convince myself of that and then also is this really something that's strong enough that I want to show into the band, so I had come up with this this little pattern. one evening, and I talked to Danny on the phone. I said, I think I got something. Um, Danny said, play it for me. And I said, no, 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 wait, because I wasn't sure. I didn't want to show it until I'd been comfortable with it myself. And I said, but I'll tell you, I said, it it is up-tempo. So then I brought the cassette. You brought the
2: cassette, um, which sat between you and me. And you were driving that day. We were driving. We had split. We had started our rehearsals in Panorama City, where my parents live. And then we moved to Carson to Lewis's Rumpus Room. And we, Mickey was driving that day and um, he had the cassette and he played it. He he had the, the, was it the ding, 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 ding.
3: Right, right. Like I said, it was a chord pattern with a little riff over the chord right. pattern. And, it had and so uh,
2: I went, I, I just went on my legs. I went, you know, I, I went literally, like I said, it sounds like to me, like the Rolling Stones between the buttons. I thought it sounded like Hop. Right. And
3: we got to rehearsal and then I think you showed it. So what, what happened was is we were they were working on some songs and then Danny said Mickey's got an idea so I, I went to the piano and, and Lewis was standing over me at the piano and I started I played it for him and right away Lewis goes I have a verse for that and I thought oh that's a good, that's a good sign because number one I wasn't sure what part of the song it should be whether it should be a chorus or a verse or an intro so he already identified it he goes I have a verse for that that means he wants that to be a chorus so I thought that's a good sign number one number two. By saying he has a verse for it, that means he likes it and he wants to use it. So, and that's always, when you show something to, to people that you're working with, if they, if they start playing along with it and, and, and get into it, then you know you've probably brought something in that hope that, that might be something that's good. If, if you show it to the guys and they go, well, let's work on that a little bit later today, or let's go have lunch, then you know it, <laughs> it, it's something that maybe it's not gonna work, you know? So the fact that Lewis liked it and he and I, um, what we did was I said, okay, I said, we can put, I, I had written my pattern starting on E and his, he showed me his verse, which started on A. And I said, we could put them both in A and it would sound like this. And I played them together. And then I said, or I said, we can leave yours in A and start mine on E and it would sound like this. And he goes, yeah, just like that. So he and I had actually written something uh, not even talking with each other, although, the band was all was all working on you know trying to come up with ideas and, and be creative as possible at that time, and it just happened that he and I wrote you know in 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 a, each in a key that, that fit together. Although I have to say, for a guitarist to come up with something in the key of A and a keyboard player coming up with something in the key of E, those are very common rock and roll keys, you know. Yeah. So we put the two together. Um, Michael goes, okay, what do you guys got there? So we played it for Michael, and he started jumping up and down. He going. <laughs> At the time, we were talking about the band the Unclaimed, who was very, um, uh, very retro and very um, uh, heavily into uh, what we call cave '60s grunge garage rock. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. And if something had a real primitive pounding kind of groove to it, we call it cave. Michael, <laughs> when we, me and Lewis when we played him the, the two, two patterns that we had put together, Michael walked up to the microphone and, and started jumping up and down, saying, It's Cave, it's Cave. <laughs> and it's really pounding, you know? I swear, and, uh, I swear
2: that on the turntable that there was the NAS song, there was the NAS record that had, When I Get My Plane. I swear to God that Michael, that plane came as like subtle reference. But I had the drum beat, I had the break drum beat. And the, the one thing as a drummer, even though I'm not a major songwriter, that I I learned over time, I had learned in Sorry, uh, the way we would use it on stage, a lot of times we'd have me start the beat. People really like that. If you have a strong beat, people acknowledge it. So I knew that the Jet Fighter beat, I knew the bam, 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 bam. I knew that if a song was strong, that was like, you were fishing, and you went bam. We got him.
3: <laughs> and I told a buddy of mine about the cave thing. He's a guitar player. He goes. He said to me, he goes, "I like cave." <laughs> it's <laughs> kind I mean, of that- a universal boom boom. It's it, it's just a you know a rock and roll pounding thing. It's 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 very it's kind of universal. That you know?
2: song's almost complete within. I mean, we made a cassette of it that or I made a cassette of it that day because I had the I taped over uh, Dave Edmonds. <laughs> uh, I put tape on there so we could make a copy. We were ecstatic. We, we didn't even, we just thought there was something about this that was different. I don't ever, re- I remember us liking around the world. I remember us liking a lot of songs that we came up with. I go wild, all of them. But there was something about this where we just, all the four of us got excited in a, in a way that, that I'd never seen us get excited and when we finished that day and we basically had the song and then not that long after that we went and played a gig in san diego and we said oh we got to play it and we put it somewhere on our set and then this, we were like this is going to be great and the song finished and like three people go you know uh, like
3: yeah we were that's so true. nobody nobody applauded I nobody
2: should've... got it and we were like what we we were so dismayed by the the complete lack of enthusiasm, it, 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 didn't, it didn't interfere with our enthusiasm, but we thought instantly anybody else would get this. Because we, even though we, it, it was the band we were in, we had learned songs and we thought they were good. It's not like if we learned like on my own, it wasn't like we said, oh, this is a bad song. We knew we had a good song on our hand, but Jet Fighter was the one where we kind of like definitely freaked out. And to play it live the first time and have like three people applaud was so disheartening because
3: um, we knew there was something there that was different. And um, and I don't know. I remember Michael, when he came, when he started singing at the microphone, literally the words just started coming out of his mouth, which is the way he writes a lot of times. And he then he turned to me and he said, um, I have to write this down because I don't want to forget it. It's really good. Wow. <laughs> so, and Michael actually, did, we had actually done a song about airplanes when I first joined the band. Um, it was called Visions of, Air, of Airplanes. And it was it airplane, was a very no, kind of- of
2: Airplane Fairs.
3: What's that? It was Visions
2: of Airplane Fairs. Okay, and it was very kind of moody like- well, um, It was it was, it,
3: it was very much like uh, Alone Again or Love. What? Oh yeah, like love. It reminded me a little bit of Eight Miles High by the birds, although not as rock and roll. Very kind of moody and atmospheric. And um, we, we eventually pushed that song aside, but Michael, when he'd always, Michael's an airplane fan. I mean, uh, when we tour and stuff like that and we'd pass an airfield or whatever, he'd go that, that, that plane has a 737 engine that one had, so he knows a lot of stuff about airplanes he could talk. You know, engine size and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So he he was a fan. And I think when he heard the music, he thought, oh, I could write an airplane song and, and, that, we, you know? and,
2: and the funny thing is, like, the Visions of Airplane Fair is kind of a cool song. And we, it's a good song. We tried to go back to it a couple times. And for whatever reason, it kind of had these unique harmonies, kind of
3: birdsy, like he says. And it had kind of yeah. cool guitar stuff. And um, you can definitely like light, light, put on a black light while listening to it and smoke a little, you know, burn some incense. It's really kind of moody with these birds type vocals. And and it's kind of like love, like you say, with the arpeggio guitar. It's really a cool song. Yeah,
2: it's probably the first song I learned before Mickey was even there. They showed me the song. I have a tape of it from the second rehearsal. I have a tape of that, like we like four or five songs we taped because I wanted to like be able to remember these things. Um, and I know that like a, later on in the band, maybe after Lewis left, we tried it again. Um, and for whatever reason, we could, we just felt like we couldn't wrap our head around, like we were missing something about its specialness because it was kind of cool, but I think we just didn't know how to get to it. But yeah, he, Mickey's right. Um, alone
3: remember it's kind of a little reminds me a little bit of alone again or by love wow you know it has to, that very soft moody you know uh kind of it's a slower song but it's 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 really it's pretty song pretty melody too
2: yeah no uh, it's something i i you know it's one of those i know we came back to and we just never did but yeah it's true um and then um oh yeah, and then there's the other one that we we demoed for uh Forever After, uh, Armed Forces Day Parade. So oh, yeah. we even got another airplane reference.
3: Yeah, yeah. Michael likes his airplanes, definitely.
2: Yeah. So we even that one we demoed and we it was sort of an elaborate song. We almost we almost got to doing it on Ever After, but that was another airplane, sort of airplane song.
0: Danny, you were talking about harmonies, and that's something that I've always wondered about because Soraya and I One of the things that we really enjoy about the band's music is the harmonies with the vocals. And Mickey, I was always wondering is, how did you guys come up with those harmonies? Did Michael have an idea or you just came up with your own harmonies or? Uh,
3: Usually, well, it it depends. Um, Sometimes Michael would, you know, he'd have a melody. And so I'd usually sing uh, over him on, above him and then we and we'd put Lewis below him. Uh, usually I kind of worked out harmonies, uh, something I had done in the top 40 band and also when I'd studied music uh, in high school. Um, although sometimes Michael might say, you know, Mickey try singing something like this over, oh, above me or, you know, so it was kind of a, a it just, de- it just depended on, on the song. You know, diff- diff- different people had different ideas, but normally we had Michael singing in the middle, me above him and Lewis below. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also uh, in the studio, Earl helped us with the harmonies too, as well. So we would, so we had the, you know, uh, sometimes the four of us, you know, working out stuff. And we tried different things. You know, sometimes Michael would, would sing a harmony with himself. Sometimes it would be just me and Michael. It's Oh, there's a cool thing uh, talking about harmonies um, on my own at the ending of that song. It's, it's basically Michael singing the melody and me harmonizing above him. And then Earl had that Earl had us sing that same part over about 20 times and he, and he recorded it 20 20 different times so you get
2: well that's where the 15 tambourines reference came from
3: and we're singing we're singing the exact same notes each time we we tracked it and then he put and then he layered all the tracks together and it has this real airy breathy sound of the voices it's only two two vocal lines and and we're just singing the same vocal line over and over But because he re-recorded them so many times it just it, it makes it sound really airy and breathy so he would do little effects like that and suggest things like that
2: you know, another thing he was big on was space on a record. He would say like, you know, where does everything sit on a song? You know, he didn't want things to be like you were mudding things up. So there'd have to right. be, you right. know, guitars here, where's the keyboard notes going to be, as opposed to the vocals, opposed to the drums. He would very much, that was where he get very analytical and he would discuss because Earl sort of was a triple threat, you know. He's a musician, he's an engineer, and he's a producer. So we can kind of come to you from any of those angles, and he's going to win in terms of like just—not that it's a win or lose thing, but just like, well, where do you want to put this, you know? Because he was very into Sonics, uh, you know, how things would sit on
3: acoustics, you know. That was very important. Yeah. He, he's of the school of less is more. You know, don't, so, over, yeah. don't, he has, don't overcrowd your tracks, you know, keep things have one great guitar part. And if you want, if you want to have lots of guitar, you know, that you can hear when you're listening to the song, don't, don't put on five guitars, put on one guitar and, and work on the intricacies of that one part and, and make that just one great sounding track. Um, Oh. And then you have your drums and bass underneath it, you know, and, and that's, that's your, that's your guitar work, you know, so, so less, less is more. He would say that, that the a record a, a song or the track you're recording for a song is like a bucket and you can only put so much into the bucket until it's filled up. So you don't want to overfill it. Um, sometimes the guitar or the keyboards can eat up the acoustic areas where the voices are or something like that. So he'd, he'd sometimes have. You know, if you listen um, on, uh, on my own, uh, at the very beginning, the guitar plays a uh, guitar riff for the intro, but then when this voice comes in for the verse, um, the riff doesn't play over the voice singing. When the voice stops singing, then the, then the guitar riff plays. he would keep things more sparse because then you keep things sparse and basic, you can add reverb and you can um, add all, whatever um, things things you want to the track. And it sounds, and you make the things that are there sound really big. If you overcrowd stuff, it can sound just like mush, you know, where nothing is distinctive anymore.
2: Right, there'll be a lot of instruments on a track but how they're used is very sparsely and separated. If you actually go back and listen, you go, oh. And also on my own, you have to remember Needle Shade and Pine. an in-joke because michael says that line and i i used to give him crap about it so usually like live when he would say needle shade and pine i'd usually hit a lightly hit a symbol right afterwards (laughs) it would be like an in-joke i'll never live that down (laughs) it was like sort of a band thing you know it wasn't wasn't like i disliked what he was singing it was just like you know he just those words needle shade and pine and i would like just do like a
4: crap. (laughs)
2: It was pretty much just so, you know Hey, if you walk through the forest, you're going to see Needles, Shades, and Pine No, absolutely (laughs) Um, On my own through Forest No, I'm (laughs) trying to think, uh, Fall on the Ground What what are the songs that we've not mentioned? Um,
0: Well, we were talking about um, Soraya is a huge fan of When Lightning Starts um, Oh yeah, yeah With the horns Um, I kind of hear a little bit of Supremes In that, and I know Michael was a big fan Of that could have that been was. any kind of influence. I think it was yeah I mean Lewis came up with. Uh, uh, pretty much the
3: uh, the chord pattern for that and uh, started playing it for Michael and Michael said. Yeah, I he said I started writing something that was either Michael is a big fan of, of Diana Ross and Supremes for sure. Um, and he said he started thinking Motown and, and what kind of a what would what would the the vocal do over a, a, you know a chord pattern like that over kind of a a soulful a, a, a soul type you know funky riff like that what what would the voice do and that's that's what he came up with that was his you know kind of um, to me actually the riff sounded a little bit like Casey the Sunshine Band on, when it was on guitar you know. Well and so instrumentation it, I mean you know we don't but Casey like, and the Sunshine Band were, were, were Motown influenced anyways, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, like, the drumming and stuff and the bass playing, it's very much like a, you know, much more closer to a soul track. I mean, we're not trying to play, like, some like yeah. record, you know. It's got the hi-hat beats, and, you know, again, and I lie, we would use the hi-hat beat to open because it gets people's attention, but, you know, and then it has all the, you know, we'd have all these, like, which are very much. It's not. It's we weren't using. That wasn't a rock tradition at all. We, we were definitely using that for. You know, we used it there, and then we used it on. Uh, uh,
3: so that that it was kind of like a. If you listen to that track, it's kind of like a rock band doing, you know, their interpretation of a of a soul type song. And that beginning that you're talking about, I remember. Um, uh, and they were holding that note there. And I said, You got to do something in between there. So I thought of the song, you know, Best of My Love by The Emotions. Uh, uh, that, and that and I, I said, You guys, do something like this in there. And, and they did, I showed them that stuff in there. And that's what ended up on the, on the song. So. I'll, always gets would get a good response. And I can't I remember KNAC used to play that song a lot.
2: Yeah, we played, I mean that was a song that and stupid Einstein were, were on our set
3: for a long time. I mean yeah because people yeah. wanted them to be in the set. So <laughs> one one I remember getting a letter <laughs> and so, somebody wrote in and said my favorite part of 16 tambourines is on when lightning starts
0: when Michael goes woo <laughs> That's Soraya. Soraya (laughs) sings that whenever,
1: whenever. uh... I've heard it live. I automatically place it in there. No one else is doing it, but I do it.
3: (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's the best part of the whole record. I thought that's awesome.
2: That, I mean, I also showed the joy of, of that track. And I, there was not. I mean, we, there's no songs on that record where I, we, I think we overthought, like, you know, except for Michael and Lewis deciding around the world shouldn't be on the record, which was their own decision. Um, mm-hmm. There wasn't anything where we, we, like, I mean, where we battled in any way about, about trying things or doing things or making the record that it was. It sort of became sonically that record and um, even if we had kept Around the World, it still would have been much more of an acoustic based record than a, you know, there wasn't really, there's no song that's all out aggressive. I mean, that's why when I look at arrive Without Traveling, it's much more Lewis's baby in terms of like, he gets his way on a lot of guitar stuff there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could definitely hear that. It's more of a guitar based album. But 16 Tambourines" is so dynamic. I mean, all these there's so much going on with it. I mean, it just it, to me, it's a masterpiece. But a couple songs we haven't mentioned, and so we run. That has a there's a lot of ambience to that track, and from what I'm hearing, maybe Earl had a lot to do with that, like giving it space. Um,
3: yeah, I would think, Mickey. Um, trying to think uh, that song uh to me it was a was very much the whole kind of um uh feel of like um the 60s sort of um uh a a new uh counterculture new new things going on and that sort of thing um and uh michael had pretty much that was I think he'd had both the verse and the chorus. And when he started singing the verse, I just started hitting some chords to we are young, bum, 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 you know, following what he was doing. And then um, as when the chorus comes in, Lewis, it Lewis came up with his guitar part. Um and uh we Earl put on some sound effects and things like that. Uh you hear this kind of like like uh, swirly sounds and, and stuff like that. And that's, as I recall, that's Lewis working with the um, the chorus on the uh in JC120 oh. and, and getting feedback and stuff like that. So we might have, had, I think we did a track with him just playing around and getting, you know, having the feedback sounds weave in and out and that kind of thing. And
0: um, Mickey, are you referring to like even before the vocals come in? There's kind of a right. Okay. Right. You hear that? That's from the that's from the chorus
3: of the 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 Roland JC120. And I, I I he must have been he must have turned up the volume t- uh, to get it to feed back a little bit. But it was using the the chorus you know cranked, you know to get to get that. And it's also in the song itself. It is in the beginning, like you said, but it's in the song itself too. It's although when the band starts playing, you don't hear it as much.
4: We are young, we have no fear Take the old from in our ears Cause what they say is what we meant
3: But yeah, it just, Yeah, Earl and Earl got you know sound effects like that, and also at the end of the solo on "In My Own Time," where the guitar goes. that yeah he only the, uh, the end of that yeah, yeah, so Earl added all these little things and it was kind of a you know maybe Lewis was messing around with it and Earl said, let's work, let's use that da da, 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 da. so they kind of it just all you know each of us were were throwing ideas out and, and saying try this, try that or whatever you know and earl was kind of running the ship and and organizing it all wow and
2: then yeah. on and on my own um I mean, and, and I'm not on my own. Um, and so we run, those verses are very empty. You know, it's like ding, ding, ding. I'm like hitting a, the bell of a symbol, you know. They're very, uh, and
3: so we run, yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, so a lot of these, you know, you see the spaces, but you don't really think about it. Um, you know, but they're there, you know, but it, it's sort of like. Um,
3: a little bit, it's a little bit like a like a left bank type thing. It's a, with harps chord and everything like that. And it's um, a little bit like the Stones, Satanic Majesty's Request, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, that was, that's very, and that's, Michael loves that kind of stuff. That's his, that's his, um, uh, his realm
0: <laughs> that he loves to explore and, and yeah. that sort of thing, so. Um, so mickey would you play with different sounds to come up with because there's a few different sounds that you have throughout the album i was wondering about tomorrow but it sounds like that earl had that that keyboard yeah. in the next room but I, right right how, how would right. you come yep. with sounds that you would pick for the songs um would you well, experiment that was that was that was that
3: was a tough part because i wasn't sure where where to put what sounds to use sometimes and where to fit them in to, to a band that to me, like the, the, the foundation of the band was drums, bass and guitar. Um, so I wasn't always sure. So I would just, what I would do was, um, I would, I, I was working with the Prophet five, um, and also later on the Prophet five, as well as Yamaha DX seven. And, and after rehearsal, I, I, I'd, I'd stay, um,
0: when the rest of the band
3: left, I would, I would stay back and I would just spend time coming up with different sounds on the synthesizer. And you'd come up with you know, different types of keyboard sounds, uh, harpsichord, maybe um, different electric piano, or, or some sounds were not specifically like um, a piano or harpsichord or whatever, but they sounded sort of keyboardish, you know? Um, and then you'd also try to come up with sound effects you know, you also try to come up with string sounds and and pads. So so I'd, I would just try different things and I'd maybe play some of the song on each of the different sounds and um, and maybe try to work out what I would play using a certain sound or whatever, and maybe then try that on five other different sounds. So it just kind of I spent a lot of time just thinking about just, you know, what types of sounds to use. Um, and uh that that was that's that was one part of my you know private rehearsal (laughs) Uh, another part would be you know once they introduced lewis and michael say introduced the song then what would i play you know i had the sound i knew the song now what things would i play would i start soloing here would i play chords there so i'd spend a lot of time doing that and then i would also spend separate time just trying to come up with with Uh, songwriting myself so try to come up with a chord pattern or a riff or a melody so i basically had three different things three different areas i would work on you know just writing songs um trying to figure out what i would play on songs that were introduced by by michael and lewis and then trying to come up with different sounds that i would then save on the synthesizer and as they would introduce ideas then i'd punch around to the different sounds I'd save and just try different, and try that sound, try this sound that I saved last night, you know, and just kind of experiment, you know? Did you
2: play uh, Earl's, uh, ball? didn't he have a Baldwin organ? What's that? Did Earl have a Baldwin organ? Was that what he had?
3: The organ stuff that I used, um, I actually brought in a a, a Korg CX-3, which was a, a portable organ. Um, and it's like a long a rectangular box. It's not, it's not very, it's, it's real lightweight. It's like about 15 pounds or, or maybe even less. And that's what I played the solo for Around the World on. sounds like a hammond you know um and then i also used um i did other organ sounds on the prophet like the um farfisa sound on um um sorry is on the prophet um and then run through um Roland jazz chorus wow. to get the to get a um like a leslie leslie type effect don't know that earl had
2: well, i can't uh, remember earl had earl had the ball in an oregon organ and he had the tack he?
3: piano yeah i played the tack piano on tomorrow but he had um
2: i thought it was a Baldwin. It might have been another brand i thought right yeah the
3: mostly i got the organ sounds on on the keyboards that i had okay you know and okay. i tended to play a lot of organ i tended to play a lot of you know it was real basic at times you know piano organ harpsichord and strings you know i mean, but of course those are such fundamental sounds that you know th- those are good places to start you know
2: i do play the baldwin organ on the fate of as real as real what yes the keyboardist danny veneer they the the fate Maybe. of real as real you'll hear right at the end there's this really weird sounding organ and that's actually me
3: Wow. That's you. That has the tap piano on it, too. Some of the low notes in the piano at the end song. Yeah, that's true.
0: So that's the same same piano on as on tomorrow
4: yeah that's the
0: piano so yeah it, mickey you're mentioning that i mean a lot of the songs are guitar drum um and vocal bass based but tomorrow is i mean that's that's primarily you that's true and so is like um uh and so we run
3: starts off with the keyboard as well and so does uh 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 fall to the ground starts off with the keyboard now lewis wrote the i think wrote lewis wrote the music to fall to the ground and he wrote it on piano so he showed it to me and i and i just i played basically you know uh what he wrote so yeah, he I had mean, a piano but, in his
2: rumpus room uh lewis <laughs> so i know yeah, it sounds funny yeah. me, but that's what we-
3: so but that's you're right i mean uh, I, I think on, on on 16 tambourines the keyboards you know, do take a lot of um, are are dominant in a lot of ways, and and that's the way Earl would work. He'd first get the get the drum track, then the bass. Uh, would he get the ba- Actually, he'd do the drums and then he'd do the vocals. He'd do the after well, we the drums. Probably, and he just had to,
2: we probably did the rhythm tracks, Michael and I, together
3: with a scratch vocal. We, we would we would do just a scratch track with the band playing in a scratch vocal. Um, and the main thing was to get a good feel and to get the drum track. But and once he we had
2: the drum The tracks were recorded very fast. We didn't waste a lot of time on-, um, on Not face way, right?
3: But they came- Yeah, down yeah Danny, from- Danny was a quick study, that's for sure, in and, and laying down the drum tracks. Um, but then once he got the drum track, then the next thing Earl would do was lead vocal, and harmony vocals, because he wanted to hear where the vocals were, so that the instruments wouldn't cover them up. Wow. So once he got once he got the drums and the lead vocal and the harmonies, then he'd say, is this gonna is this gonna be dominant guitar on this track or dominant keyboard? Whichever one was dominant, that's the one he'd do first, because because then after you've got the dominant instrument, then when you put the other instrument on, uh, you, you're you're not gonna step on any toes. Uh, you're not going to step on the toes of the dominant instrument or the vocals. So, so if if a, if a song was uh, say uh, mainly guitar dominating, the keyboards would be done last, um, and they would have to they'd have to find spaces where they could fit in and not step on what the guitar was doing. And that's how you had you know the guitar you know being the strong part of the track and the keyboards maybe more, you know, uh, effects or whatever, you know, but if it was keyboard based you'd start with the keyboards first. And, but what he's saying is true. Like when we did,
2: when this isn't with Mickey, but when we did the 3 by 4 record, we did Tell Me When It's Over. That's Michael's scratch vocal that ends up being used. Earl, yeah. Earl said, that is great. And then I think maybe he changed a couple words and played with a tune a little bit on a couple words because he could with Pro Tools. But I, I think it's the, it's the take that we do when Michael and I lay down the track. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy.
3: That's amazing. That is. Yeah, so, I mean, Jet Fighter has actually kind of both keyboards and guitar kind of uh, 50-50. Yeah, really. Yeah, there's strong guitars and there's, a, there's an incessant keyboard part all the way through there as well. I mean,
0: Mickey, you're doing that arpeggio part on the keyboard and it's such a, I mean, that's a huge part of that song. Right, right. And that was Lewis's, Lewis's
3: riff. Lewis, Lewis came up with that, you know, um, and that's, but it's also, it's also dominating, or it's, it's also, like I said, um, if you listen, you hear his chord riffing as well, which is, which is like um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite um, guitar tracks that he does is the chord riffing on Jet Fighter, wow. you know.
0: Yeah. And so I think we mentioned earlier that's the song that a lot of people know the band. That's, yeah, know know the band by. I mean, that track is on compilation, several compilations, right?
2: Well, we've actually licensed it a few times. It's actually made us a little bit of
0: money. So nice. So a couple more questions before we let you go. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of sequencing, and you guys have mentioned that it sounded like everything was pretty amicable. Was sequencing um, pretty amicable, and how did that come about? And why is the track listing incorrect on the back of <laughs> the album? <laughs> why, why is it not in order? <laughs> which copy is that?
2: The which copy of that? Japanese. Well, maybe the is the American one incorrect?
0: It's the same way.
2: Yeah. Oh, everything with that record's incorrect. The cover is incorrect.
3: What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this one too. Well, it's horrible. Cover.
0: What should have been? I mean. Whoa. What, what track is out of sequence which one so it's you start off with um jet fighter so it's it it starts off there but then it goes on my own seeing is believing is the third track that's listed. they're not oh that's weird they're it's not numerically listed it's just listed and i was just wondering if there was any any thought to that the way that it's listed Whoa.
2: The, the the thing that came when it came to the artwork, I we didn't have. I don't recall the record having a lot of issues with the order it ended up with. Single is believing ending and everything. Um. But, the artwork, which is sort of been a bane with a lot of people, uh, it became this thing the other day on on Facebook. But, um, you know, we did a photo session and we looked at it on lisa fancher's wall we it just was like bam 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 we were going on the road we'd already done the co down tour which was really successful we were doing a bigger tour and again it was a lot more dates we were going to be out longer and we looked at the artwork and the photo on the wall i don't know we picked that one i don't know why but we did and it looked good on the wall but you know you're just looking at something on a wall so what happens is we don't even get a proof you know, it sort of goes from like, okay, yeah, that looks pretty good.
3: Like, if we were to put it on the carpet, and it might we might have realized it wasn't that good like, <laughs> instead so of we, the wall. So, <laughs> the record, I think we thought the
2: photo would be with right, the top would be dark, um,
3: you know, blending into like where it came from. It did have a certain lighting. It did have seem to have a certain lighting uh, as we were looking at the um, at, at the proofs. They were running slides. On, on the wall to show proofs of the photo session. And we saw this kind of weird lighting and stuff like that. But when you put it on the record, the lighting that we, that we thought we saw was not there.
2: But, but I remember I, I was at Lisa's house when she got the records and I called Michael. And we were, <laughs> I think we were leaving on tour like the next day. Seriously, it was something like that. It was like really fast. I mean, so we never saw a proof. We just saw photo on wall, record in hand. Wow. Um, And I said, and I called Michael and I said, "Um, I got, I have the cover here. And he goes, yeah? I said, it's a dartboard. And they go, what do you mean? I go, it's a dartboard.
3: It looks terrible.
2: (laughs) And Michael has this sort of kind of funny kind of nervous laugh. And I go, I'm not kidding. He goes, what? I go, I'm not kidding. It looks like it should be a dartboard. And he had no idea how much I hated the cover until he saw it um and then when i've seen the whole photo session there's a thousand better photos and it could have been done so much better just the top had been in black and the writing had been different um we just ended up picking like one of the worst photos from the photo session yeah but everything was like snap 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 so the writing the back the insert lisa wrote that michael didn't even say to write the marty then it wasn't supposed to be a picture of Marty Van, of Martin Van Buren. I like I like the inserts style into your rocking tunes <laughs> by Marty was, Van that Buren. Was, that, 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 that was a Lisa <laughs> decision. That wasn't a Michael decision. Michael oh, really okay. Well that was really clever. And that would have made a great cover too. <laughs> and Michael, Michael
3: wanted Martin Van Buren, which he got. You know why? You know why? I know why Michael wanted Van Buren. You know why? Okay, you're listening. Because, because I asked him, I said, why do we put Marty Van and Michael looked at me? And he said, because he's a great dresser. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense coming from... <laughs> that does. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, so a lot of oh the artwork was, was problematic. And then I think I actually posted like one of the reissues where I actually got them to use a different photo, which is a much better photo. Yeah. Kind of like Mickey's like, what are you guys doing over there? I know <laughs> we were moving very quickly. That's, and it got rushed together and, it, and yeah, unfortunately I mean, no, it that's didn't. like a thousand times better as is the other one that the CD version, yeah, I mean, yeah. compare them.
3: Yeah. And, and I actually, for all, for all of it broke codown for it being kind of, you know, a uh, more primitive i actually li- I like the bro code cover Broke. quite a bit
2: the funny thing about bro code i love the bro code cover and i think it really, it's
3: really cool yeah it
2: really sums up the band at that moment but yeah. it's very mm-hmm. funny we go to do it and it really means nothing now but it's so funny at the time we all came we came dressed and lewis shows up and he goes i forgot my boots <laughs> i have my i have my tennis shoes and he was so bummed but you know really it it's great that he has his tennis shoes but he, we, you know, we had these, I had these very stylish Beetle boots that were like from the 60s that I bought and I, you know, modern. I bought them. They had never been used, but they were like 60s and they zipped up the side. But Lewis forgot them, but it's great that he's wearing his tennis shoes. But that, you know, that photo, I mean, it really, that's exactly who we were at that moment. I really loved that cover. I love the artwork. I love the pagoda. I love the logo. I mean, that really, and the back where we're on the
3: pond. All of that works for me. And we the, didn't have a ti, we didn't have a title for that record. And Earl had some of his record record collection on the floor in the studio as we were recording and I was looking through their collection and and he has, and I pulled out this record and it was a, a Walt Disney record and it said Ho-Down. and I turned to on and I said, "How about that for the title of our record?" And Michael goes, "That's great." So, and and so the weir-
2: was, okay, and the weirder part wow. of it's wow. off the Walt Disney record.
3: Wow. But uh, the
2: weirder part that is written by a songwriting team, the song Codown. It's, it's the Main Street Electrical Parade song. Right. It's written by um, Perry and Kingsley. Gershon Kingsley, who was one of the writers, dated my mother before my dad.
3: Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Wow.
0: wow. Wow.
3: It, it, it's also cool. I, I love um, titles like that that mix two words that usually don't belong, for example, like Beggar's Banquet by the Stones. They mix these two words that, that normally don't sit together.
2: Well, you when, know, he, when Earl comes up with the phrase 16 tambourines about the vocals, it's that same thing. It's like,
3: I don't know who's ever used the phrase 16 tambourines, you know? <laughs> right, right. I remember Earl, it's so typical of Earl. Well, that sounds like 16 tambourines. <laughs> and Michael said, oh, that's a great title. But that's very Earl, you know, like oh, yeah, the notes yeah. on the
2: back is, it doesn't own, have a period. Like, what is it? The bag of sixteen tambourines. It's like
3: what's that? The the bag of sixteen tambourines. is quote. It's like oh the the quote. Um, he's saying about the all day? the different ideas and all the minds and and he says hurry yeah. before it melts. That, that's actually no. a movie.
0: No, but what's the whole phrase he says? So he says three o'clock's best shimmering ever. More textures I've seen at once, like many dramas. Major explosions, swirling faces like they had 40 brains. Hurry before it melts. Right.
3: <laughs> and that's a, that's a 60s movie, Hurry Before It Melts. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, but that whole it's combination great... is very Earl, the way he kind of just takes all these words and he thinks about yeah. the record. He's like, boom, boom, boom. And he's like, I think yeah. Lisa asked him to write a quote, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of what you do with Earl. You have to, like, will you do this, Earl? And then they're like, yeah, okay, you know
0: so to me this is 16 tambourines is like my sergeant peppers i think for some people it's definitely overstating it but that's how important this record. that's very nice jeff Thank this you. record is extremely important to me and the way you guys have described as we've talked to you the last hour and a half you guys it sounds like you put that much effort into making it what it is it, there was a lot of effort. band had a- and i mean,
3: Dan Ban had a lot of energy and excitement and creativity. And it was just like four, four young guys, just, you know, really, you know, going after it really had a lot of focus. Michael was great because he wanted everything done to yesterday, you know? <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to record the record. We're going to be on the road next week, blah, 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 blah. A lot of energy, a lot of energy and a lot of, uh, like I said, Earl, we, we got, had the luxury to be able to, just take our time and make it sound exactly as we wanted. So, and and that's what we did. We did, you know. It was
2: it was it, Not the arrive without traveling. Actually, we didn't have a good report because we did. We were in another country.
3: We did have a good report in that record. And
2: we, you know, we were in another country and we worked in a, in a whole different way. But um, it was a it was. There wasn't weird chemistry. I mean, it was very fun making the record for the four of us. We had a lot of fun. And at that moment, we really didn't see any reason why things weren't going well, because there was no sign. You know, we'd, we'd go and play a mod club, we would think 200 people show up and there'd be 800. Every time we played, we were like, what's going on? What, why are all these mods here? Why are all these kids dressed? You know, I remember we played some club in Orange County and it was really small, but they packed like 500, 600 kids in there. And I remember we got a couple of encores and I had a green suit on and it was there wasn't an inch of it that wasn't wet and mickey had to catch me from passing out wow and then we went into the, like that walk in freezer and we walked in there and they said you got to do an encore so we stood in there for like a minute or two and then we came out because you know it was like oh wow but
3: i woke up i think that but it was i think that very, was radio very city. unreal at that moment because uh, i think that was radio city in anaheim it might be might be it was radio city in anaheim 16 tambourines, jeff Uh, it was four guys and we were able to just do whatever we wanted to do and take our time and do it. And with, with a good um, uh, conductor uh, of the band, a good, a great, a great producer and engineer who allowed us to do what we wanted to do. We didn't have any record company, Lisa, just um, from frontier who ran frontier, just go in and make a record. And we were able to. We had no interference. We were just young guys, and we did whatever we wanted to do, and had the freedom to do it. And so, we, and that's that's the result. Stayed, we would have stayed with Earl. We were always
2: kept from working with Earl.
3: Yeah, so, IRS wanted something more, rate, more uh, commercial radio. But Although I think, in its way, I think you know, six and tambourines uh, has a lot of commercial potential. And and had we stayed with Earl, we would have you know progressed. To a certain degree as well anyways um when we made "Arrive without traveling the band was really playing a lot together and rehearsing a lot um we're pretty we're, we're we're very tight on that record on "Arrive without traveling we're, we're playing really well although we play really well on on 16 tambourines as well but i mean
2: also i i felt that when we made when we went to do arrive without traveling they wanted to sign us because of 16 tambourines because of jet fighter but they didn't want us to record with that guy who recorded
3: in a house. But that guy got us on the radio. No, but you can't record. that That's true. And when we told that to Earl, Earl goes, well, I figured they, they wouldn't. And that's typical of record companies, too. You do something and then they want you, but then they don't want you to do what you already did. They want you They want you to put, put you through their um, mm-hmm. uh what they think you need to do to get you on the radio so and that happens
2: yeah and, and that was why when we did three by four not with mickey but when we did three by four i was adamant that we should be able to go back to earl and they were like go anywhere you want and we were
3: like, yeah a that? smart choice and <laughs> smart it was choice. great
2: because it was fun you know i don't know if we'll ever record again maybe we will but we probably will never record with earl again if we
3: do but you know yeah. so you know it if the if the band had chemistry of, of, of the chemistry of the four guys with Earl, we had a like a, n- nearly a fifth member of the band as we worked with him, who who would just fit with us so well and was so helpful to us. You know.
2: Yeah, he he's a he's a wonderful guy, and I'm glad that I can call him my friend, and that's important.
0: So he sounds like to me, uh, going back to the Sergeant Pepper's analogy, he's like the the George Martin <laughs> equivalent.
3: Yeah. <laughs> In a way, in a way. And he also, um, Danny, he also worked with like, once we had recorded Broke Down, he, he then produced, I think, a Long Rider's record and maybe did he do Thin White Rope? And he did a bu- several he other bands started going rope, to him. Huh? What's that? I
2: don't think he did Thin White Rope. But yeah, I mean, oh. I mean, you know, when I worked with him in The Quick, I think we might have been the first band he got a production credit on. And, and that sort of led him to getting a lot more work which it's fantastic he deserved it and he had a great studio in the, at, the, at brother and and then you know we, when we did Burrow Codan, it led him to getting a lot more people because they heard that record which yeah everybody should be working with Bur but yeah. I, I always I always wish we'd worked with him again you know uh, prior mm-hmm. to three by four we always every time we tried to get back there and we were always like nope can't do it you know sad but sad but true
0: all right well you guys this, we've already had you for an hour and a half i have one last question if you don't mind um i don't mind. So we're we're coming up it's hard to believe because you guys don't look like this is even possible but we're coming up on 40 years of celebrating this album it's almost the 40th year wow. anniversary um wow. here in what a couple years away one or two years away any last thoughts like looking back on it Looking at it now, any last thoughts about 16 tambourines um, as a m- much more mature person? How do you feel about it looking at it now, almost 40 years later?
2: Um, well, I mean, I guess I'll, I spoke first. I, I genuinely feel the same about it. I, I feel, I feel it's, for, you know, and I, I can say it from being in the band or looking at it. I think it's the, probably the most crafted record we make, even though, a ride without traveling, I really like. Um, I think that there isn't a lot, there isn't wasted space on it. And um, I just love the fun we had making it and how it gelled and the camaraderie amongst the five of us. Um, There's something about that. I don't look back at it and have disappointment in any way. Like, oh, we, but if we had added, you know, a oboe on that.
0: <laughs> Right.
3: Yeah, I look at it the same way, you know, still the beaver, you know, leave it to beaver. <laughs> um I, I I enjoyed it back then and I enjoy it today, you know. So it was a lot of fun to make and it's still a lot of fun to listen to.
1: Yes. We we agree wholeheartedly. So I have one last question. Okay. Um so I I want to know, are we ever going to hear visions of airplane fairs? We know that cassette exists. Oh. Um- well, you know, um,
0: the 40th year reissue, 40th anniversary.
2: <laughs> reissue. I would, I would rather that it got recorded for real. The cassette is just a really crappy cassette. It's the three of us, and it's sort of shabby. But we're
0: okay uh, with that he, too. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> no, they, it, it it's got a lot of. It, it's got some of the potential there, but I mean, if if we did it now. It would sound like a three o'clock then because it it really is an old song um and it's got cool lewis has cool guitar picking in it Um, yeah it's nice you know um so i think if it was actually recorded now uh it it could be done with justice as opposed to a shabby cassette in my parents garage with the three of us with a mic hanging somewhere and vocals not really being in tune and you know
3: yeah it's it, it's in rough form right now and just you know rehearse, rough rehearsal form you know but but whether you hear it or not that's up to that's up to Danny and michael <laughs>
2: <laughs> mickey doesn't mickey uh, for his own choice doesn't have much say in the three o'clock
3: but i don't I don't have a copy of it anyways, so mm. although I remember the song
1: Mickey, I have one last question for you, and it's just to satisfy we keep
0: we keep saying that soraya. <laughs>
1: just to satisfy my own curiosity okay. was the beginning riff to me it sounds like a farfisa is that the prophet on uh when lightning starts where you go da-na-na, yeah da-na-na-na.
3: yeah that's the prop that's a farfisa sound on the prophet yeah and originally originally that was going to be played on guitar but um earl wanted something different i think he felt that was too too much like another record and so i said well we got to have that riff in there so we the, the the spotlight turned to the keyboard and so um i ended up playing kind of very similar riff to what the guitar was playing um on, on the farfisa sound on the prophet
0: i love that sound
3: i love yeah
0: yeah that's, a, yep. that's why it's mickey what's that i said
2: that's
3: why you're mickey <laughs> and then when we did it live, we would we would I would say, Louis, go go ahead. We're not in the studio anymore. Play your guitar part, and I'll and I'll just and i chord through it, you know. So we kind of revert to that live.
1: Jeff, I think we can talk about this album over and over and over, but but first of all, I know our listeners have enjoyed this, and uh, we want to thank Danny Benair and Mickey Mariano. And Mickey, we would just like to leave. An invitation to we'd love to talk about Arrive Without Traveling with you. This has been really fun and super informative. So just know that you're always welcome back and we'd love to talk with you again.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you both so much. Thanks. Good seeing you guys. All right. Don't forget 40th year anniversary coming up. We can do- I
2: know. you might see it on you might see a reissue. Who knows?
3: danny you can blow out the candles <laughs> yeah, wait, wait wait, wait.
1: wait are, are we jumping over what danny Benair just said could you <laughs> yeah we are
3: we're jumping over
1: <laughs> mm, all right but oh my gosh thank you mickey you're thank welcome. you danny oh, thank
0: yeah you. you're take welcome care. take care take care we really appreciate it all, all right, right. No, have a good one you guys. bye bye-bye oh my gosh right give
1: me a moment <laughs> give me a moment I wow. hope everybody out there is just agog. Mickey Mariano, the unicorn himself.
0: <laughs> thank you, Danny Benair. Thank you, Ooh.
1: Danny Benair. And seriously, thank you, Mickey Mariano. I learned a bunch about this album, Jeff.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was great having both of them on there that, yeah. so they could feed off of each other. Soraya, there's when I go back to edit this I kept noting that there were so many quotable moments in this discussion that would make for any, um, the selling of any book, just, there was a couple quotes in here about some of these songs about the album, um, Mickey talking about 16 tambourines, um, generally speaking, um, D- Danny Baner's memory, right? I mean, he's the band's archivist. Um, our first uh, interview from anybody from the Paisley Underground was Danny Benair. Thank so we you. owe Danny. We owe Danny so much um, I mean, in
1: fact, just eternal gratitude, but also um, jeff i'm 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 I'm, st- I'm still floating,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm not joking, Soraya, and it's not hyperbole when I say that this album, Sixteen Tambourines, is definitely in my top five most important albums you know radio tokyo is huge to me um but this is literally you know beatles are my favorite band <laughs> literally this album is oh. more important to me than Sgt. peppers or any beatles album i'm um i've listened to this more than anything so hearing some of these stories about these guys in the studio and putting this together and soraya like learning um from the two of them uh, Earl Mankey's role in putting this album together. It's its amazing. And it, like you said, we've learned so much today.
1: To me, what Mickey said about Earl, that Earl loved to work with young bands and help them grow. And I absolutely agree. When you watch the transition from Salvation Army, Baroque down and then you get into 16 tambourines. And then when you compare 16 tambourines, which was kind of this ascension with Arrive Without Traveling, you hear two very different bands, you hear two different bands, two different sounds Two, And I just love the fact that Earl gave them a chance to kind of experiment. And experimenting with the sounds, okay? Earl's kid crying, you know, (laughs) boom. Uh, Earl's wife coming in with groceries into the kitchen where Danny was laying down. You know, it's just, to me, it's like all this really funky layering of sounds that I thought were different. I think that's the word. I thought they were different. And now I'm finding out that they're completely not what I thought they were. But like, I, I think Danny is weird, just like a happenstance, just something that happened and Earl said, yes. Like that little blip at the beginning of Jet Fighter. I thought that was intentional.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then here we
1: find out it's like, no, that was a mistake that wasn't supposed to be there. But Earl said, yeah, leave it in. And then that, so now I'm never gonna think of that the same
0: yeah it's amazing and Soraya we got a few answers um from our previous yeah. episode when we just did the album focus um I'm thinking specifically when we're talking about a day in erotica and learning about a couple things uh, the way the song was put together but yeah. can you believe that they used a cassette tape from Mickey Mariano's at wedding?
1: 14 wedding Mickey at 14 lead singer
0: you can't all fit in. You
1: can't all fit in. I can't get you all in.
0: I can't get you all, all in. in. I can't get you all in. I can't hey, get you dude. all in.
1: I, I am just blown away. And the <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. I, I'm going to thank Danny Benair for forever. And, uh, yes. But I can't say enough. Uh, I mean, say enough about uh, Mickey Mariano. Super generous Absolutely. with his time. His stories, but also kind of, you know, just giving us a, a, a bigger, just a, a bigger picture of what this album was. And I loved this little edition of the band history of how Mickey comes in and this and the way that Mickey worked. You know, talking to Danny first, I have an idea. And then he comes in and is like, yes, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've talked about the camaraderie of all four of them um, specifically in recording this album, but what about that special camaraderie between those two, between Danny and Mickey um, coming in as the seasoned, I mean, we're only talking early mid-20s, but they're the the seasoned guys and coming in with the experience. I mean, when you think about like mid-20s and an 18 and 19 year old, now I mean my wife and I are eight years apart so I mean you're talking six five six years apart whatever as adults you know in our 40s and 50s that's not doesn't seem like a lot but an 18 year old and a 24 25 year old that's a big difference there's a lot of experience that happened in those years that Danny and Mickey brought to the band and then you had this fresh energy that they're talking about from Michael and Lewis and the way that that all blended together
1: that to me I think was a piece of a puzzle that I didn't realize until Mickey kind of explained it that way. You know, Danny and I had more experience. Lewis and Michael were younger, but when they came together, you know, Mickey said we were bringing some experience so we could kind of teach or you know guide a little bit these two younger people who were kind of working it out. But I loved how Danny put it said. When Mickey came in, came, came to the band, he upped the game and Lewis met him. And when you right. hear Lewis Gutierrez play guitar and you hear him on Sixteen Tamarines, you go, You said it. You're a, uh, you wonder if they're the same person from you know Salvation Army, but it just shows growth, right? But it was a leading Absolutely. from within. And like, Absolutely. you know, Danny said, Mickey up the game, Lewis met him there. And then kind of experimented on his own. And we've heard Michael, you know, his vocals, his, the, the songs he wrote, you know, and he's a genius on that bass. And so
0: absolutely, he, we
1: just, we hear this band really kind of mesh and come to, it. it's really a joy. Uh, reissues, Danny kind of glossed over it, did not want to repeat it, but he said it towards the end. I would, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think reissue is and, and can you just imagine? We already love it. But reissued with probably some remastering.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at the dates here. I mean, it came out in October 1983. Here we are in, oh, I mean. I mean, we're, 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 hop, we're in and a jump. Fall. I mean, we're fall 2021. I mean, a couple of years away. We need to start planning for this. Oh, no,
1: <laughs> we, we need an event. We need <laughs>
0: An event, yeah.
1: But also, how amazing, it, Earl Mankey. You know that uh, d- he was like this fifth member. That's what Danny said. But Earl Mankey can just literally—it's like cherry picking great moments. You tell me on Three by Four that those are scratch vocals that Michael Curcio gives on tell me when it's over and it's brilliant it's a beautiful listen and they're scratch vocals
0: yeah you know several people when we well we were talking about this when we did our three by four episode that vocal is something that people actually mention as a highlight of that entire project is michael's vocal on that particular track right i mean that several mike Um, Matt Piucci has mentioned it um Vicki Peterson mentioned it right Uh, we've seen um fans have mentioned that that um Joy has mentioned it's her favorite Uh, song off of it yeah and that particular vocal is a a highlight of that project and it's a scratch track that Michael and Danny recorded with Earl and and Earl here's Earl saying we're going to use this we're going to use this and look
1: and it's lovely it's wonderfully done
0: amazing yeah
1: um and see jeff i'm not the only one that screamed woo <laughs> when lightning starts
0: Yeah, write a fan yeah.
1: letter to it but you know hats off to the to the person who did yeah man uh 16 tambourines is an important album for jeff and i and yep. uh, for three o'clock fans we really hope you enjoyed this episode. I think Jeff and I can't stop smiling yet. So, no, no. we'll be referencing this and, for a while. And Jeff, the doors open. I really hope we get to talk about another three o'clock album with Mickey.
0: It's oh so so. informative.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: Absolutely. And if not, we've learned I a mean, lot
1: today. It, it but today was with a joy.
0: You. Today was oh, it was
1: great. I it was a you. thrill. And absolutely, you satisfied my curiosity. Not a farfisa, profit. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not familiar with that. So uh. Uh,
1: look, he experimented with so many different sounds and brought so many. I noted yeah. three pieces of equipment that he talked about. Talked about the Korg. Yes. Sorry, I have it over here. He talked Prop- about a Prophet 5, a Yamaha DX7, and a Korg CX3. None of which I know about, but yeah. he said it, so I, I wrote that. it down. Now one.
4: <laughs>
1: oh boy, yeah. Jeff. Oh, I don't know. What else can we say?
0: We're in heaven right Woo! now.
1: Thank you again, Danny Benair and Mickey Mariano.
0: Yes, thank you both oh. thank you, Danny, for making this happen. Me gente
1: agrubiar.
0: on Paisley people. Don't thank us. Thank Danny Benair
1: and Marty Van Buren. A great dresser.
0: Three words, Raya. Worth the wait.
1: Hell yes!